The opinions expressed in this podcast are individual and are not necessarily representative of Spirit Live or Toronto Metropolitan University. Welcome racing fans to another thrilling episode of F1 Mailbag Madness. I'm Alexa and I'm here to dive headfirst into the high octane world of Formula One alongside my fantastic co-host Marshall Crocker. That's right Alexa, I'm Marshall, your fellow Formula One enthusiast and I can't wait to unpack all the excitement, the drama and all the adrenaline pumping moments that this incredible sport has to offer. Well, if you're new to the show, Mailbag Madness, this is where we bring you the latest in Formula One news, dissect the most exhilarating races and share our in-depth analyses on the drivers, teams, and everything else that makes Formula One the pinnacle of motorsport. That's not all, folks. We also have something special in store for you. This show is all about you, our fantastic audience. We're going to throw open the doors to our virtual mailbags. You can send in your questions, comments, and insights. That way we can answer your burning questions and share your opinions on the air. So whether you're a diehard F1 fanatic or just dipping your toes into the world of racing, Mailbag Madness is the podcast that's got it all. From the twists and turns of the track to the inside scoop on the personalities and stories behind the helmets, we're your one-stop shop for all things Formula One. So buckle up and get ready for a wild ride through the world of Formula One. This is Mailbag Madness. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fourth ever episode of the Mailbag Madness podcast. I'm Alexa Koswick. I'm here with Marshall Crocker once again. Marshall, how's it going on this uh, Friday afternoon? Back at it again. Uh, four episodes in. We only got two left after this one. How are you feeling? Oh, we're, we're, we're great. We're in a, in a great spot, and then not only in the season, but in life. Unfortunately, we are now into a couple weeks uh, hiatus until Las Vegas, so don't know what I'll be spending my Sundays doing, but we're, we're good, everything aside from that. To be honest, I'm glad we're taking a weekend off, because I was surprised by how dull that race was up until that wheel-to-wheel battle that we saw with Perez and Alonso. I, I thought that it was surprisingly a very dull race, to say the least, given how, historically speaking, we've seen Brazil be such an entertaining track filled with unexpected surprises. I thought it was a really boring race, to say the least. Um, obviously, Aston Martin's resurgence was one of the big talking points. We had Alonso finish on the podium for the first time since Zandvoort. We had Stroll surprisingly coming in P5. They qualified well as well. Um, I guess Leclerc being unlucky again with the hydraulics, the unreliability of the Ferrari coming into existence once again, and then just the racing incident in that first corner with, with the Haas and the Williams. A little bit unfortunate, not that it would have affected the outcome of the race at all, probably still would have ended up um, lower uh, on, the, on the pecking order. As we usually see with those two cars, and then one of the bigger talking points, I would say, other than the wheel-to-wheel battle that we saw with Perez and Alonso was definitely the lack of pace that Mercedes sh- showed. Um, but I guess, Marshall, as we always start off with every podcast, give me your initial thoughts, and then uh, I'll take it from there. Yeah, I think to, to speak on, well, first of all, the President Alonso battle, I think that was was something we, we haven't really seen in, in this era since the uh, regulation change a few years ago all too particularly much, and that's just straight up a faster car um, being held up that aggressively by a slower car. You know, we, we saw it most notably in the last race of the previous era, you know, the famous 2020 Abu Dhabi finale where uh, Perez, the as he was known at the time, the Minister of Defense, holding off Hamilton um, in a car that was on old tires, should not have had the pace, but just by utilizing DRS and his uh, straight line advantage, he was able to hold off a car that was faster for a number of laps. And we really haven't seen that in this era of the uh, you know, the, the ground effects and mainly just how, you know, tire advantages are so huge now. It's so hard to hold off somebody behind you if they should be quicker. Uh, and then DRS, they're making DRS more and more powerful at each track. So it, it just hasn't been, a, it hasn't been a, a great era for um, cars of different, I think, abilities. And I would definitely say as much as Aston Martin, since they took off their, uh, their improvements or well improvements in, in air quotes um that they added a couple of races back since they they take they've taken them off they look like closer to the car they were at the beginning of the year definitely not 
I think we can agree like the second biggest challenger um, as they were in like Bahrain to start the season. But it was great. It was it, I think it showed Alonzo, you know, he still has that hunger, still has that fight. I think after especially his qualifying the week before, a lot of people were giving up on Alonzo as, uh, you know, maybe as the car is going away, this is, you know, the last gasps of his uh, F1 career. But no, he, he, he just had some fight. And I think that also a little bit speaks to Perez. He was he was sloppy on the last lap at a turn one. That's why it was a battle at all. You know, I think I honestly think if you flip the drivers there, that battle is neither as long, um, nor does Alonso give the chance for Perez to attack back the way Alonso did. So I, I just I, yeah, I think it was it was interesting. I think that looks even worse for Perez, because as much as I think it is an insubstantial thing compared to how people are hyping it up, if he had gotten that podium versus fourth, you know, he proved that there was some pace there. He didn't look as bad he, as he has in recent weeks. But um, man, if you're if you're Perez, you got to get that battle capped off. You got to take home a podium and he just didn't. So, yeah, it was an all right race. It was it, by Brazil standards. It was bad. I, I personally, I think I give it a five out of ten when I uh, when I was talking with people I watched it with. But realistically, that's a bad Brazil race is a good Monaco race, for example. Like it's not, you know, it, it's it's not necessarily speaking that it was awful altogether. Just definitely a little bit disappointing there till the end, and I think a lot of people are letting the ending overshadow how uh, how entertaining the rest of it was. But uh, yeah, no, I'm curious. Like, so like coming out of it, what are your what are your big takeaways? Because only two more races left, and they are completely different tracks to what we saw in Brazil. Right. From what I've heard, obviously Brazil has been one of the more entertaining tracks that we've had on the calendar in the last recent years. We saw that last year, coupled coupled with the unexpected surprises we saw uh, with Mercedes uh, finishing with a one-two. Um, I thought that was going to kind of carry into this year uh, in terms of the unexpected surprises where we might have seen a different team come on top of the of the Red Bulls and, you know, pick up a, a, another win for a different team on the grid. Um, it was a little bit interesting to <laughs> to see uh, to see Perez battling there at the end. I did not expect that to happen. Um, I do think, though, that this is what Red Bull kind of wants from Perez. I know it was unfortunate that he didn't get the podium, but at least he's not finishing P10, P9. At least he's not shunting it into the walls. At least he's not having bad qualifying. Although he did start P9, I thought um, he did a pretty good job in the race, kind of showing the true pace of the Red Bull and making his way up the grid and challenging Alonso there at the end. I know we cannot compare their skill levels. We know Alonso's a superior driver uh, to Perez, but I think at the end of the day, like this is what Red Bull want from Perez. They want him finishing, you know, P4, P5, maybe a few uh, podium finishes. Um, I think Mercedes was probably the biggest talking point, given what we saw last year in uh in Brazil, I was expecting them expecting them to have a very strong weekend, but obviously that wasn't the case. Um, I think Mercedes, just with their sprint weekends, like they just never seem to find that sweet spot uh, when they only have uh, one free practice to get the right setup. I know in Coda they they finished P two in the sprint and they finished P two in the race with Hamilton, but at the end of the day, like we 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 always see them bad in free practice one, and they slowly kind of progress their pace um, on Saturdays and Sundays when they when they qualify and when they actually show their true ability uh in a long distance format but yeah that was that was probably the worst performance i've seen from mercedes in a very long time especially in the new era um it it, it was it was it was very surprising how not only how slow they were on the straights but also through the corners as well and once i saw yuki Tsunoda uh take over or overtake uh hamilton i was i was just in shock and we saw gasly do the exact same thing like this is not the mercedes that we're used to seeing i do think they over exaggerated their lack of pace a little bit i thought it's not that the car is slow i just think they got it all wrong this weekend in particular but overall yeah um they're gonna have to fix whatever issue they were having for vegas because if they're that slow on the straights they might not even finish in the points uh in vegas which is uh, a track that they're going to be racing in a straight line throughout the entire grand prix 
And it just goes back to what I said, their inability to find the right setup or sweet spot on spring weekends. Um, but yeah, a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but also a bit of a surprise as well, given how, uh, given the expectations that were on them going into this weekend because of how they performed not only last year, but in previous seasons with the uh, Hamilton and Bottas there. They've, they've always done really well at Brazil, but this was just a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, I don't know if you maybe think that's going to be a, a recurring issue for them. Um, Marshall, just to quickly touch on that, or do you think it was just a lack of setup and we'll see them, you know, back fighting for podium positions in, uh, in Vegas and Abu Dhabi? I don't think this is, is necessarily emblematic of what the future is going to look like for Mercedes. I do think it speaks to the team just doesn't understand their car. They're, they're engineering. I don't know what they did, but all season they've been, you know, making it very clear that they're not even good at the same tracks. They're not bad at the same types of tracks. They're just, they don't know what that car is meant to do. They don't know what it was good at. And it, it really has felt like they, they thought they had something the same way that Red Bull clearly has in this era. They thought they were going down a different path that was going to be superior. And they just can't figure out what that car can do what it's meant to do. And it's no, it's been brutal for them all year. Um, you know, yeah, I, I hope next year they get some sort of vision because I really do think that the best chance Red Bull has to, to get some some uh, you know full season uh, competition next year is Mercedes. I think as good as, as uh, McLaren's development has been and as much as Ferrari's always in the mix with how you know invested they are in F1, I just think Mercedes has so many more resources and the infrastructure to be the one to really compete, but they're not going to do that if they don't have an engineering direction to take their entire program. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, things will get better, but uh, just to wrap it up, yeah, I definitely think things are going to change a little bit into Vegas. I don't I'm not as confident in my pick that maybe this is the this week at uh, Vegas is where Mercedes gets that win, one of the two cars, and I genuinely think it is pretty even between both drivers. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I yeah, just to wrap up, I think uh, I think things will change in, in the future. I, I don't think today was totally emblematic, but it was another um, another piece of evidence to suggest that yeah, they just they just don't know what they're working with there. A team that won eight straight constructors championships has one win and two pulls in the last two years uh, with the new ground effects era. And it is really interesting to see how they've dropped off in form. And this might have exposed the fact that they were uh, solely dominant because of the uh, the power of their power unit um, over those seven, eight years that we saw Hamilton and Mercedes dominate F1. And I think we're seeing now with Red Bull, and you and I touched on this when we had a personal conversation about why Red Bull has seen uh, an uptick in pace and why we've seen Mercedes have a, a downgrade in pace. It's because Red Bull has always had uh, better aerodynamic package than Mercedes. Mercedes dominated uh, all those years in F1 because of their power unit. But then when you went to tracks like Monaco, where the car relies a lot more on the aerodynamic package, it was Red Bull coming out on top. We saw that, you know, with Ricardo in 2018. It was all these tracks that relied more on the car's aerodynamics rather than the power unit, where Red Bull would end up shining. And now that the cars have more emphasis on aerodynamics rather than power unit, is why we're seeing Red Bull be be so dominant as it is. And just to quickly touch on this before we move on, I think. You know, McLaren can also be that second team. I mean, we saw uh, Norris in those early stages of the race. I think it was in the first few laps where he almost overtook Max. And we haven't seen that throughout the entire season. So there is a little bit of optimism, not only for uh, Mercedes. I mean, maybe not this weekend, but certainly the past weekends that they can catch Red Bull. And McLaren can do that as well. So I was also very impressed with Norris as well. Um, Again, just showing why he is one of the best drivers on the grid and that he can potentially challenge Max once he gets put in a car that that is just as fast as the uh as the rb19 or the rb20 we'll see next year what they bring i'm expecting red to be fast again my only response to that is just yeah you know winning one race having a really good weekend is one thing and again until he can beat max on even pace i feel like that's a whole different tier of, of success but the big thing for me is just over the course of a year 
Um, McLaren hasn't made a title challenge since 2001 when Mika Hakkinen won the title. They just, they don't, you know, they don't have that ability as, as an organization yet. They don't have that experience recently, like this um, current iteration to fight over an entire year. And you saw back in 2021, just the, the, the levels that Red Bull and Mercedes had to push to in terms of investment to keep their cars that fast. I just don't think McLaren will necessarily be able to, certainly not for the constructors, maybe Norris for the drivers is their best bet. But um, I just don't I think don't they, you're they saying that uh, that uh, that it's going to be Mercedes, the one challenging Red Bull rather than McLaren, if someone is to challenge them next for the year. title next year. If somebody's going to beat Max, it's going to be one of them. All right. Moving on, I guess uh, for the most interesting topic that you and I have covered throughout the entirety of the podcast, ranking the driver pairings on the current 2023 F1 grid. Let's breeze through this, Marshall, because I'm very excited to see who you've ranked from 10 to 1st. So let's start with number 10 and 9. Who have you ranked as the worst driver pairing on the grid? In the, the, the way I've kind of done this, I've put it into little tiers of, of, I think there are teams that are closer and teams that are definitely further away in terms of, of driver talent. Uh, but that's perfect because 10 and 9 are my, my fifth tier, the worst in F1. Uh, at number 10, I have Williams. And at number 9, I have Alpha Tauri, um, which I, I think there will be some, some argument about number 9. I think 10... It depends on how much you think Alex Albon is carrying that team, but I don't think there's much argument right now that Logan Sargent is the worst driver in F1. He didn't have the pedigree in F2. He shouldn't have got the seat. He came in and did nothing with it. And his one point he scored all year was a sham off an attrition race where two guys got DQ'd. I just don't, I don't see any argument he isn't the weakest. And as good as Albon is, and he really has outperformed that car, he's just one of those guys, kind of like a Pierre Gasly or a Daniel Ricciardo now, that in, in weaker machinery, they can always find a way to outperform it. But you put him in a top seat, and they just aren't championship level talents. And uh, that's the kind of the same reason for number nine. And and uh, Yuki Sonoda, I talked about it a little bit last week. I alluded to it. I don't know why that guy gets the hype he does. He, he's just, he, people look at him as like a, a bull of potential. Like he has this raw pace that I don't know where that's coming from either. Um, but he just, he's super inconsistent. And for me, I think the biggest, the worst moment of any driver at Brazil this past week was Sonoda just getting lazy, getting in the grass, um, coming down that second hill. I think it's turn eight. Just getting in the outside grass, clipping it. And that's just a mistake that, you know, dialed the drivers over the course of a long race just can't make. So I don't rate them nearly as highly. But I will say if Liam Lawson, who was driving for that car part time at the beginning of the year, if he was still there because he's an incredible talent, he's proven it all around the world. You replace either one of those drivers with Lawson and he moves up into the next tier for me and into the eighth spot. So Williams, you 10, are really high on Liam Lawson then. You are really high on Liam Lawson. You think he could actually uh, have a really good F1 career once he finds a full time seat in either 100%. Red Bull or Ferrari. Yeah. No doubt. That's a good point you make. And the fact that you and I agree on number 10 is, is very interesting because I think Alex Albon has actually been carried to decent point scoring positions by that Williams. I think uh, Bottas, for example, had you put him in that Williams uh, machinery, he would have scored a lot more points than, than Alex Albon. And I think you make a really great point with Sargent. I think a part of him only scoring one measly point all season is why I've also put them at number 10. And I think you'll see that through through a lot of the other uh, uh, teams as well that, I, that I've ranked here. I think Sometimes uh, I, I'll rank a team lower than it should be because of that uh, the second driver not being able to perform to the abilities of, of the first driver. So yeah, I've, I've also put Williams at number 10. I actually put Haas at number nine. I just, with Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnussen, um, <laughs> I mean, one combined podium, one pole in Brazil last year that was, that was, uh, that came to fruition because of, uh, because of, uh, so, like the the racing conditions with the rain and other drivers behind Magnuson who went out first not being able to set the same lap times as him because of the the, the conditions and 
again, I, I, I don't I don't understand why some people have kind of ranked Haas higher than teams like Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, Williams. I just don't think they have a good driver paying. They are very experienced drivers, but at the end of the day, I would much rather put uh, a duo of Bottas and Joe and Sonoda and Ricardo before before the the Haas pairing. I just I I, I I expect them to perform a lot better from race to race. I just not only does the car not have pace, I just don't think they're they're great drivers when it comes to like uh, their ability to to put the Haas in a in a good point scoring position because they're currently last in the constructors and the fact that none of them have uh, have scored a, a podium in the last couple seasons kind of uh, kind of speaks volume as well. So. I put the Haas at number nine. I don't know where you've put them. You might might have ranked them higher, given that you just told me that you have the Williams and the AlphaTauri nine and ten. But for eight and seven, I have put Botas and Joe at eight. So the Alpha Mayo is is my uh, is my eighth best team on the grid, and I've put the AlphaTauri at number seven. I think Ricardo has a lot to do with with the AlphaTauri being in number seven, just given his career. Obviously, he's got a handful of race wins uh, compared to some of the other drivers that I just mentioned earlier. Maybe not Botas, but definitely Magnussen and uh, and Hulkenberg. Now it is hard for me to say that. Hulkenberg and Magnussen are our worst drivers because we haven't seen them race in the machinery that Daniel Ricciardo has raced in. But at the same time, we we can never know the true uh, answer to that question until we actually see that. And as of right now, I I will be looking at the numbers in this specific take, and I'll definitely put Ricciardo before I'll put the rest of them. And I think he's carrying that Alpha Tower in that number seven. I will disagree with you slightly. I do think Sonoda is overhyped. However, he has shown that he does have true pace, and once he it fixes the mistakes that he's kind of been making from race to race. Obviously, we saw in Mexico when, you know, he tried that overtake on Piastri, just ended up bringing a, du a double point scoring position for, for the Alpha Tauri. So I'll put I'll put eight Alfa Romeo. Um, again, maybe Joe is what's bringing that Alfa Romeo to number eight. I think Bottas did a really good job in, in 2022, kind of putting the Alfa Romeo where it shouldn't have been. So had they had a better second driver, it, I, I might have put them higher, but yeah, not not really high on uh, high on him at the moment in terms of uh, like his potential and what I think he could do with his F1 career. So I'll put Bottas and, and Joe at number eight with the Alfa Romeo. I'll put the Alfa Tauri at number seven. So what are your uh, what are your six and seven, Marshall? Yeah, so moving on to me for number eight, I got uh, I got Haas, and I think I think the big the big holdup a lot of people have with Haas's driver lineup is that they they kind of pair Hulkenberg and Magnussen together, and they they kind of put them in a box in terms of talent. They make them a little bit um, interchangeable, and I think that that's a, a problem that I'm definitely going to dispute. And I think Hulkenberg is an incredible talent. You know, he's he's been around F1. I think over he's going on I think 200 races now. He's he's had an incredibly long career, tons of experience, but he he's had pace for years. He's come so close and very weak machinery to those podiums that would end the famous non-podium streak the longest in f1 history that he has um and I, magnuson i i do put him as i think the second worst driver in f1 I, I don't think there's a ton of talent there he was quick in his one-off race that i watched him in indycar that reminded me that yeah that the guy's definitely got good pace but man he makes a lot of mistakes he you know back in the day the old gunther steiner he the feud he had with him and a lot of that was deserved but uh no definitely a guy that i think uh drags them down a little bit and maybe that's why i would might move alpha towery up in in retrospect um, just because they, 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 they do have a lot of, I think, talent that could work. They, I just don't think they utilize it particularly well. Um, whereas, yeah, I think Hulkenberg, really good. I would put him, not quite top 10, but I would put him up in that category. Uh, and that's kind of the same thing, uh, justification for Alfa Romeo at 7. Um, I have, yeah, Bottas. I, I rate him extremely highly. He was fighting Lewis for race wins back in the day, not titles. Um, he never really had, he still doesn't, I don't think, have that, like, competitive edge that, that really pushes him to compete for wins. He doesn't have that, like, killer Has instinct. a lot of pools as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good pace. Had had some, you know, great laps. Still has a lot of track records from back in the Mercedes days. So, really good driver. Guan Yu Zhou I, I, is an interesting case um, where 
I think he is an F1 worthy talent. Good junior career. He's looked pretty solid, scored points in his first race in an Alfa Romeo. But yeah, it just doesn't excite me. And I don't think it excites particularly anybody. You know, he never has those like breakout performances, never really gets in a Bottas' shadow particularly all too much. Yeah, just not not super bad. I, I actually, right now, I would take him over Sonoda in this current moment, though I, I think Sonoda theoretically has a higher ceiling. But uh, yeah, for me, that, that's just the justification. So I, I put them at seven and eight. And then moving up to six, I, this is where it starts into my tier three. Those two teams I just mentioned were my tier four. Into tier three, I have, uh, I'll just say, Alpine at five and Aston Martin at six. And we can kind of debate that. And I know you're, I think this is the, the category you have them in, Alexa. So I'm curious what your differentiation between Alpine's lineup and uh, Aston Martin's is. The key differentiation that I have here uh, is Fernando Alonso, without a doubt. In retrospect, um, had Aston Martin not had Fernando, I probably would have ranked the Alpines ahead of the Aston Martin uh, driver pairing just because of Lance Stroll's inability to to not only get the better of, of Fernando, but also just not have a single race win throughout his entire career, even though he's been in very good machinery. I think not even just now with the Aston Martin, but I think in his racing point years when he was with Perez, like that car was also really good. That was maybe not capable of challenging for race wins uh, on a consistent basis, but was definitely capable of scoring uh, podium positions. And Lance Stroll just hasn't been able to do that. He has three podiums compared to Gasly's four. Gasly's been in weaker machinery pretty much throughout his entire career. Obviously, uh, when he was with Red Bull, it was a different story. But then again, he's been with Alpine for uh, for now the last, what, seven or eight months. He was with the Alpha Tauri and he has more podiums than Lance Stroll and he's been in weaker machinery. Same thing with Esteban. On top of that, they both have race wins. Lance Stroll does not. That is the justification for why you could make the argument that Alpine is ahead of Aston Martin. I just think Fernando's illustrious career, his ability to put uh, midfield cars in uh, in really good point scoring positions. Uh, he's now at the age of 41 or 42. He has eight podiums this year with the uh, with the uh, Aston Martin team. So that, that that's why I would definitely put Aston Martin ahead of Alpine, not because of Stroll, but because of Fernando Alonso. I think his illustrious career coupled that with uh, with the fact that he's had an amazing season hasn't picked up a race win or a pull, but he's been on the podium so many times. And even now, you know, fending off Perez, who's in arguably the the best car in F1 history to, to get the final podium position and his ability to just, you know, fight uh, race to race, even though he knows that that Aston Martin isn't as quick as it used to be. And he's able to give them not only good scoring positions, but like I said, uh, really good po uh, podium uh, places as well. So that kind of justifies my reason for putting Aston Martin ahead of Alpine. It's it, the X factor here is definitely Fernando Alonso and not Lance Stroll. Uh, had it been maybe Vettel from from last season, I probably would have had the Alpine ahead of the Aston Martin. But from what Fernando has showed me this year, I think that justifies uh, a top five spot for uh, for Aston Martin. But I'm curious to see why you uh, why you put Alpine ahead of uh, Aston Martin. Yeah, you, you basically summed up most of it. I'll, I'll keep it pretty short and sweet. But for me, it's the exact reasons you mentioned. I think I think personally, if I put Gasly a little bit ahead of Ocon, I think Gasly um, on a top team could be a consistent race winner the same way Bottas took some off Hamilton. I don't know if Ocon quite has that top level pace. I think the ceiling's a little bit lower, um, but is a more reliable driver. And I think he would have more points even the last two years if his, he's infamously, he gets a lot of bad reliability issues that aren't really his fault. So um, yeah, I, I agree. I just, I put... I value more Gasly and Ocon being closer to Han uh, Alonso, both of them, than they are to Stroll in terms of 
uh, negative in the case of Stroll and positive in the case of Hamilton. And that's why I put him ahead. But I think we, we value each driver, I think, about the same. I just I justify having two guys that are that consistent, that are pretty much interchangeable in the points versus Alonzo and, and Stroll, who's just basically dragging along to that team's all the points that they scored there at Aston Martin. So... Uh, yeah, to move up to the next tier, my, my tier two actually has three teams in it. I have the, the team at tier one, kind of for the same reasons I just described with Alpine ahead of these other guys. But uh, at number four, I have Ferrari. At number three, I have McLaren. And at number two, I have Red Bull. And the reasoning for each is that we start with Ferrari. And I think the the issue is that that car over the last three years, or even you go back half, basically half a decade to when Vettel got there, those cars should have more wins. And they're, they're guys, namely Leclerc. Um, really have not lived up to the amount of raw pace they have. They made a lot of mistakes. I don't think Science has the flat-out pace that Leclerc does. I just think he, he's consistent enough that he doesn't make as many mistakes, and thus they score pretty similar in the points. If I had to take a, a driver to start a team, I would take Leclerc. Um, but boy, howdy, like, the, the Science just is... Uh, it, it, he, know, he does what he has to do to get points week over week, and they're incredibly talented drivers. I think that this pairing is so much better than Alpine that I have in five. Uh, and then McLaren at three, I think the question is how much more does Piastri uh, progress before the end of the year? If he gets a win, another win um, in the last two races, that'd be wild. I don't see it, but he got that win at the sprint race earlier in the year, which is one more than, than can be said for Norris. Um, yeah, I, I, if Piastri takes another step next year and could be a consistent race winner, is equaling Norris on pace every week, then I think this team would move up to two, maybe even one. For Norris, it's just incredible driver, but to put him above some of the guys we're about to talk about in these other pairings, has to get that win he should have had one at russia a few years ago that was entirely on him and yeah. he just really really good pace but there's again there's something about like that killer instinct that he hasn't shown me you know I, it's hard for me to think of like iconic lando norris like aggressive overtakes or these moments that he has an opportunity to make a moment for himself and sometimes he just doesn't uh and i think once he can do that i think he'll move him into he's in my top five best drivers in f1 list if, if we ever do that individually um but for sure yeah. he's up there i just yeah, I can't put him ahead of Red Bull, who I have at two. Verstappen's the best driver in F1. I don't think for me, for me, certainly, there's not even a question about that. The question is just how much does Perez bring them down? And I think he's got some wins, um, not as many nearly as he should with that team. But yeah, he's just looked awful this year. And, and I think it, it really is Verstappen carrying them. Otherwise, this team would be probably closer to four. But yeah, Perez just, I, I don't want to slander the guy. And I feel like we, we've slandered him a lot, and even in these four episodes. But He's just looked awful. These uh, He just can't figure out the car. And maybe you put him in a different car, you make the argument that like in a vacuum, Perez is better. But I can't help but put, put them any higher than two. I just think they're a step below. And you could probably figure out who the number one team is. But they're just a step below the team above that I think is much more even and, and has two guys that can both be consistent race and championship contenders. But I'm curious for you, Alexa, you're two, three, four. What order do you have those guys in? So at number four, I've got McLaren. At three, I've got Red Bull. At two, I've got Ferrari. So a little bit of a different opinion than you. And I put Mercedes at number one just as you did. Now, let me start with McLaren. Very, very, very good pace this season, not only uh, from the car's perspective, from the, from the driver's perspective. I think Piastri has an immense amount of talent. I do think Norris sometimes undermines and belittles his talents and skills a little bit too much when he's speaking about his performances or why he doesn't have a race win. I To, to, to quote his exact words, he's like, it's just a lack of talent. I think when he was asked about you know, why he has been able to win a sprint or a race compared to, you know, his his teammate Piastri, who, like you mentioned in Qatar, did end up picking up a, a, a race win. Um, it, it, I think a lot of the F1 casuals would have ranked McLaren ahead of Red Bull, but it's really hard for me to justify why either Norris or Piastri should be ranked 
ahead of Perez because in my mind, of course, Perez has been having a bad season, but if you look at a statistical comparison between the three drivers, and I'm not saying that Lando Norris or Oscar Piastri will live up to that exact same potential as Perez, but I mean, Perez has what, six race wins, Lando has zero, Piastri doesn't technically have a win, it is a sprint, he, he, he still hasn't won a race, he is still a rookie, I still think he hasn't shown that he compete with Lando just yet. Maybe he will sometime down the line. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of the people who are looking at my list would be a little bit confused as to why I've ranked Red Bull ahead of McLaren. And it's very simple. Verstappen, who is the best driver on the grid. On top of that, you have Perez, who over his illustrious career, again, we've talked about how he's had uh, very bad qualifyings and very, very bad race performances throughout the season, has six race wins, has 30-odd podiums compared to Norris, who I think is at maybe 11 or 12, doesn't yet have a race win. And also Piastri, who only has two podiums and is a rookie, right? So it's it would be very easy for someone to say, well, of course, McLaren is is, is better than uh, Red Bull because of, you know, how much, how bad Paris has been performing this season. But I'm just not ready to put them in that tier yet. We still have to see how Piastri or Norris would perform in a number two position in that Red Bull seat. Of course, it's been hard for a numerous amount of drivers over the past few seasons. We look at Gasly, we look at Alvin, we look at Perez now. So it, it, it is, I think, recency bias to, to put McLaren ahead of Red Bull um, because of uh, because of Perez's performances. But I, I'd still put them as, as the third best team. And then I have Ferrari and Mercedes at two and one. Now for Ferrari, I think it's pretty simple. Um, this is the fact that the two driver pairings are going back and forth in terms of quality pace and race pace. Um, so Leclerc and Sainz have basically been on the same level this year. I think it wasn't if it wasn't for a couple of DNFs that Leclerc had, he would be ahead of Sainz right now. On top of that, they've they've both won races in the last two seasons, whereas McLaren hasn't. And then again, what you touched on this perfectly, the fact that you have a driver pairing that is going back and forth in terms of performances. And the same thing can be said about Mercedes, right? They're pretty much both level on pace. Um, obviously, uh, you take away the bad luck that Russell has had this year and Leclerc as well. They're pretty much equal to not only Hamilton, but also the signs as well. So that's what it comes down to, right? How good are you compared to your teammate? And you made a perfect example of this with Alpine. I think... Uh, I think in retrospect, I might even put the Alpine ahead of the Aston Martin because if you look at the driver pairings, they're pretty much going neck and neck, race to race. They're very tight in the championship. And not to say that Mercedes are, but I think if it wasn't for that stroke of bad luck uh, uh, from Russell, I think he would be level with Hamilton. And it's the same thing with Leclerc, right? Like Leclerc won, what, three three races last season and Sainz won one. And, you know, the year before that, Sainz beat uh, Leclerc in that 2021 Ferrari. And now he's beating Leclerc again. So it's just their ability to almost be equal or in other words level on pace whereas you've seen some of the average other driver pairings and that hasn't really been the case right and that that begs the question like mercedes and ferrari had they got uh, a really fast car like the red bull they could be constructors champions because they have two drivers that can not only match each other's pace but can also be very consistent in how they're performing not only with podium finishes but with point scoring positions as well whereas you look at like mclaren you know we still don't know what piastri right he's had a really good season but then again we just saw in in brazil he wasn't able to keep up with norris's pace and then uh how how long have you and i been talking about what paris has done this season so that kind of what justifies mercedes and ferrari at one and two the reason i put mercedes ahead of ferrari is because of lewis hamilton just being statistically not from a skill level perspective, but statistically the greatest driver all of all time. And then, yeah, just George Russell, again, being able to compete with such a illustrious champion like Hamilton. So I, I actually did go neck and neck with Ferrari and Mercedes, but I think I think I'll put Mercedes at number one and the X factor here. Same thing with Red Bull is Lewis Hamilton. 
and Red Bull being Verstappen, of course, with just having one driver that is um, incredible. Yeah, for me, it's just uh, the reason there, obviously, they're, they're at number one for me as well. And I think the big thing for me is just, I, I don't think, again, the same way that I think there's more of a gap between the Haas guys than a lot of people do. I think there's less between the Mercedes. I think Russell, some really bad luck is the reason the points between those two guys aren't much closer. And uh, you, you think about the, you know, you think about the experience there. I uh, no for 100%. I think they should be number one. And I think it is because they, they are the only team in F1 that has two of the top five drivers. And it's really cool that there is that differentiation between the teams and that none of the, the driver lineups are super overpowered and that either every team has that guy you could really look for. So no, I think, I think our lists are correct there. Yeah, I, I agree. Aston Martin's overpowered with Fernando Alonso, McLaren's overpowered with Lando Norris and Rebels overpowered with um, yeah. Max Verstappen. And then we Ferrari and Mercedes have kind of gone back and forth. We had uh, Russell beating Hamilton last year. We have Hamilton beating Russell this year, and we've kind of seen a, a swap with signs and Leclerc Ferrari as well. But that ends the podcast, folks. I'm glad you could join us. This is a really interesting topic, Marshall. Uh, we will see you next week for episode five. My name's Alexa. And my name's Marshall. And we'll see you guys next week for episode five. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Thank you.